0: I'm here at the Game Developers Conference online in Austin, Texas and with me today is a special guest. How about you introduce yourself? Uh,
1: my name is Alexander Bruce and I've created a game called Hazard the Journey of Life. Okay. And what's what's the game about? I've described the game as a philosophical first-person single-player exploration puzzle art game which is a whole lot of words but that's actually the most succinctly the most succinct way I can actually describe the game. It uh, basically plays us in an in a philosophical labyrinth of non Euclidean space sure. and it's about interesting spaces that are wonderful and it's about this is this is terrible. I'm trying to work out how to describe the game. It's an impossible game to describe. Sure. Well there, there's a YouTube video, there's hopefully. A YouTube video. Okay, okay, awesome. So um so I'll attach
0: that with the interview to yeah. to make it um what in, what inspired the game, you know, um
1: and yeah, let's let's talk about that. The inspiration for the game came from breaking down a whole lot of conventions that I didn't enjoy in other games. Yeah. You know, So, for example, the game has no death in it because I was playing Portal wondering why my character could die when they're making this really immersive world otherwise. like That's something very game-like attached to something that's trying to be really immersive. So I'd go, all right, in my game, I don't want any death. And then I'd have to deal with all of the design uh issues that came up as a result of that. And, you know, menus in games. I was like, why do games need menus? I'm not going to put any menus in my game. Yeah. And as a result of that, that changed how I had to do certain things, and after you've made enough of these different design decisions, you're going to end up with something completely bizarre. Yeah.
0: Well, what other design decisions did you make um, that were in contrast to what you didn't like in other games? Other ones.
1: There's yeah. like.
0: So you removed the menu, mm-hmm. you... Um, you know, death. you didn't remove death.
1: Anything else? I removed the menu. I removed death. Um, I didn't want any tutorials in the game. I didn't really want to add a story to the game because I tried writing a story at some stage. But it, you know, how can you write a story about basically an interact an interactive museum of wonder? Yeah. You know you can't. There's nothing that explains why you're running around in a non-Euclidean labyrinth or why geometry is completely messed up. So, I then decided to add philosophy to the game because I had a whole lot of, you know, justifications as to why I was making all of these things. Players weren't, playtesters weren't understanding a lot of that unless I was sort of there standing there telling them all of those things. Yeah. So, as a solution to that, I was like, I'm just going to start signposting the games, put you know, putting some of my philosophies around the place. Yeah. And people found that really interesting. So, you know, I Then that that made building puzzles a whole lot easier because I'd be like, I have an interesting mechanic that I want to convey. I'll come up with some philosophy for it, or I have some philosophy that I need to convey in the game. Now I can just come up with a puzzle for it, and that worked to an extent. But initially, the puzzles were sort of just you know splayed around randomly and there wasn't a whole lot of flow there, so to fix up the flow I then went with this whole life theme where, you know, at birth we know nothing and, you know, as we progress through life we sort of learn in a very touchy-feely way eventually just making choices in it isn't enough we need to, you know, start solving problems life gets more difficult, etc. so I had that whole progression going there and then I started working with psychology as well so saying, alright, well uh, in a commentary for Portal, one of the things that they stated was that in first-person shooters it's really hard to get players to look up. And they had you know, all their design solutions around that, like putting in a half ladder, etc. What I found interesting was that players wouldn't look up. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to make a puzzle in my game where all the player has to do is look up to find a path, knowing that players won't do that. You know, Players aren't going to turn around, players aren't going to look up, players aren't going to look through darkness, etc. And that's what can give you this... Really interesting feeling of oh how have, how have I been missing all of these things? Like my psychology is totally wrong. I came with the wrong expectations. The game has now broken down all of my expectations of a normal game, and built it back up with all of these lateral systems.
0: And so, when you say philosophy, what do you exactly mean? Are you talking about philosophical quotes? Um, what What do you
1: mean by you know this philosophy type? Of thing? So the philosophy in the game. I've had a bunch of people ask, they're like you know is it philosophy from like Nietzsche? And I'm like. Yeah. No, my philosophy is all sort of a practical philosophy. Like, I have a very positive view of the world. So, if I see a challenge, I'll try and, you know, I'll work out how to spin that positively. I'll see it in a positive light. And so, I decided that... And you
0: wanted to communicate that positive philosophy in the game itself. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, so like one of the one of the quotes in the game, for example, is uh, taking the first step can be harder than the rest of the challenge, which is metaphorically related to the action that the players have just done. And so after every choice and after every puzzle that the players solve, they'll get little philosophical quotes that sort of explain what they've just done in a very positive light. Things where you can then take that information and change how you think about you know, challenges in your own life. So, for example, that, that, that sounds really bizarre and abstract, but I've had people with depression play the game, they have a really negative view of the world, play the game, and as they're overcoming all of these challenges, they're like, this is making me feel really good, because I'm getting through all of these hard things and getting positivity out of it. Yeah. Now I can sort of start adjusting how I view things in my life. Did
0: you modify the gameplay any to
1: um, adapt or to represent or reflect that philosophy more? Um, So when I was initially making the puzzles, they did start out, you know, just sort of splayed randomly, and, you know, you had all these these weird puzzles with the messages attached, but on the whole, there wasn't really any flow there, you know, so I then did a whole lot of modification to make sure that it did fit with the learning cycle of life, you know, so that we're learning things in a nice order, we're then applying all of the knowledge, finding more knowledge, etc. But I've also modified the game according to what players... Were expecting or what players would do in the game. So rather than you know more traditional level design, where you'd be like, I really need my players to do this, and I'm going to keep modifying this specific thing. I'm going to change the lighting in it. And I'm going to change you know the geometry in it to make sure that players understand it. Yeah. I was looking at things, going, what are players currently thinking? You know, what should happen right now? That's what happens. So that that way you can have these completely abstract and lateral systems, but you can. Have things that feel really intuitive to people yeah. you know it's it 's not all perfect yet, but by the time the game's released that 's how it 's going to feel players will just intuitively understand this four dimensional space and
0: what were some of the other design challenges that you faced while you're developing this and did you do play testing while you're developing
1: so some of the design challenges that I faced uh, because it is such an abstract game um, it's really difficult to try and get players to appreciate that and not just view it as some, um, oh, this is an abstract game, you know, it's bizarre, it's, it's going to be completely against me, I'll only be able to play it for five minutes before I get sick of it, etc., which, you know, a lot of prototypes sort of start out as. Yeah. Overcoming that was a very big challenge, overcoming uh, people's aversion to a game about life and philosophy yeah. was a massive challenge. You know, I've had so many people tell me that I'm pretentious, but I'm not trying to sort of tell people how they should live. Yeah. I'm just making a game that's a little bit different. You know? And another one is, you know, non-Euclidean space is a very confusing concept, yeah. so I need to portray all of that in a way that isn't confusing to people. You know, they, just underst- they After enough time, they understand how the world works, and they can just accept it. They can accept that space is completely meaningless. They shouldn't you know, think, oh, I'm stuck, where, I'm, you know, where am I going, as they yeah. would in a normal game, because the game's all about exploration. If you don't know where to go, start exploring. And did you, uh,
0: did you put in the non-Euclidean space uh, as a way to reflect philosophy some more? Or was that just a different motivation behind that?
1: The Non-Euclidean Space went in there. So this game started off mechanically about being about dynamic geometry, um, sort of portraying why people should find this geometry system interesting. So for example, that's similar to how Portal started, as in we want to work out what we can do with portals, or Braid going, we want to work out what we can do with time. I wanted to know what I could do with geometry. And as I was doing that, I decided that space was just as important as geometry, so I started making non-Euclidean space as well, and they sort of bounce off each other. And the philosophy actually came in after all of that, you know, to relate to some of these different, you know, scenes. So, like, why you've got, you know, multiple paths that can wrap back to the same place. It doesn't make sense, just as non-Euclidean space. It does make sense when you start associating philosophy with it
0: and when you talk about the design challenges and people like just wanting just saying oh they might just play for 5 minutes and move on how
1: did you resolve those issues or did you figure out a way to do that so I got over the issue of people playing for five minutes and then just quitting by making sure that within five minutes at any stage of the game you are seeing a whole lot of wonderful things. Okay. You know, um, Some people don't like exploration games, which is fair enough, You know, they don't like the act of exploring, but when you're running around finding all of these bizarre interesting things that's the reward for exploring. Okay. So the fact that you can run around and then find a four dimensional art gallery which you've never seen before is enough of a reward to say well what else can I find in this game? Yeah.
0: And were there? And what other changes did you have to make to overcome any other design challenges? Did you face while?
1: The only other kinds of challenges uh, that I was overcoming other than, you know, those major ones were some technical issues, you know, how do I make my non-Euclidean space? How do I make my dynamic geometry system? Well, yeah,
0: let's talk about the technology behind the game. Um, what did you do to, or yeah, what, what system did you use to actually develop the game? And what were some of the changes or challenges you had to overcome technically to um,
1: convey uh, the game design that you wanted? So, I didn't have to build an engine from the ground up with this game because it started off as an Unreal Tournament 3 mod, and I've now moved off to using the UDK. And that probably sounds a bit bizarre because the game is not Unreal-esque at all. Yeah. But that's what I found interesting. You know, Having this complete toolset meant that I could find a bunch of things to break. So, as much as I... As much as I was looking at different conventions in games and wanting to break them, I was also looking at how tools were set up in the Unreal Engine, working out how I could break them as well. So for example, the lighting system in the game is all negative lights and so I would put lights down and then rather than being like what happens if I set the brightness to two, I was like what happens if I set the brightness to negative a thousand and I'd find out that the Unreal Engine wouldn't allow that so I'd be like I'm still interested in that concept now so because yeah. I had this complete engine I had a whole lot of things that I could tinker with and break whereas had I started from the ground up I would have only known the kinds of things that I wanted in the game yeah. and that's only, that, that, that will lead you down one path, it certainly won't lead you to this game.
0: And what are other, um, I guess, suggestions you have for game
1: developers looking to do
0: an innovative game or something interesting?
1: Some people will disagree with this, but I believe that, you know, you should really question a whole lot of conventions, You you, you know? Why should you have menus in games? Can you convey that better? I know that over the past several years we've seen a lot of people experimenting with removing the HUD from the game by portraying it better in how the artwork is done. They've still got menus, you know? The example I gave before was Portal, where you could still die. I'm sure that they could have solved that in a different way. I mean, you have a gun that can shoot portals. Surely if you fall down somewhere, you can just get yourself straight back up there. It makes puzzle design really difficult because it's really easy to make puzzles where it's like there's a gun shooting you, you need to work out how you get past it. When you remove death, you can't have any threats like that. But what that does is it means that you end up with puzzles that are based more around the figuring out element rather than the skill element of like I know how to solve this puzzle now I need to work out how to run over there and get the box there fast enough and that's fine like but there are other kinds of puzzles what we see in games is only one kind of puzzle compared to the kinds of puzzles that we see in the real world so my advice to other people as well would be you know some experimentation is a good thing even if you don't really know where you're going because you know, that's how I ended up with Hazard. That's how Braid ended up being interesting as well, because of the way that Jonathan Blow implemented some of his time mechanics. He'd be like, oh, now I can do this with it. Now I can do that with it. You know, make, make interesting things and really try to explore them before you just throw them away and say that's not going to be commercial.
0: Yeah, and can you talk about your design process then, um, and maybe how you've changed it uh, since you initially started to actually um, discover some more innovations or invent more innovative types of games? Mm-hmm.
1: My design process is a purely iterative one, so I'm going to start out with the most basic idea that I can. You know, it's not even a game, it's just something interesting, something I find interesting. So for Hazard it was this dynamic geometry system. I wanted to see what I could do with this. For Braid it was time, for Portal it was portals. And then I built the rest of the game out of it. It's not enough to take this really interesting mechanic and then throw it into a normal game. That's like making a normal game, but making a really unique art style. You may grab people's attention with it, but you're not going to hold it for very long if they're just playing a normal game. So, when Portal was released, one of the things that I saw was people making mods with the Portal Gun, saying like, aha, we beat Portal 2, we've now got the Portal Gun in Deathmatch. The reason Portal wasn't released as Deathmatch is because it's nowhere near as fun as portal exists now where it completely explores all of the concepts you know so i started off similar kind of fashion i had this geometry system i threw it in a game you know in a deathmatch game because i was working with unreal and decided that it wasn't as fun trying to kill people as it was just exploring what this geometry system could do. Yeah. So it's all an iterative process, and you're play testing the whole time to work out whether other people are finding it as interesting as you are, yeah. and then working out how you can, you know, working out all the interesting bits that they're finding, and doing more of that and less of the non-interesting things.
0: Are you are you aiming for a different feeling while you're playing this game then? Um, like, how do you determine that this game is fun enough or unique enough? Aside from the play testing, is there some kind of internal compass that you're using to
1: determine whether something it's interesting that you've used the word fun there. I was never aiming for fun, I was aiming for interesting. And normally that's bad in games, you know, people will be like, interesting is bad, fun is good. Fun is just one verb, you know, we can, we can go with more than that. That would be like if every movie, if, if the only way to describe movies was blockbuster, yeah. you know. I feel that we can go outside of that and we're certainly seeing a lot of that, yeah. you know, that game company, you know, starting with feeling. Or um, Alec Koloka starting with uh, you know characters you know yeah. those are the things that he finds interesting. I was aiming for interesting spaces more so than fun spaces you know things where you can do like there's a reason people go to museums there's a reason people look at art they're not having fun while they're looking at art yeah. they're being really interested like they're interested in all the strokes that people did and what someone painted etc
0: and is there anything else you have to do to figure out new ways of New interesting things or new interesting experiences? Then, um, as you're designing games, games, Or is it... you just take it as it comes, depending on what the interesting
1: topic is at this point. I just take everything as it comes. You know, the, the, the way I get the way I get my base mechanics, a lot of the time isn't even from looking at other games. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very similar to Shigeru Miyamoto taking, you know, gardening or you know, playing with his dogs as inspirations for why we should make games. Yeah. You know, so. Um, for other things, it's just looking at things that I find interesting in my life and saying, that would be really interesting if I made a game about that.
0: And where can developers and listeners find out more information about
1: the game? There's a. Okay, I have a website. It's www.demruth.com. So D E M R U T H.com. Um, there's a link there to Hazard. There's a demo on the UDK Showcase website, but the demo is now old, so I've fixed a bunch of issues that were in the demo, you know, I'll have a new demo coming when the game is finished, uh, but the one that was there will give people a feel of it, they just need to make sure that if they're playing it, they can accept that it was a work in progress, early version, you know, don't approach it like a finished product or have expectations as to whether the finished product will be as frustrating as the demo may be to some of them, you know. And so speaking of finished product, um, what's, what's the timeline? When is this
0: going to get released and where do you expect to, to distribute it?
1: It's really difficult answering when it's going to get released because it keeps changing. You know, The more competitions and stuff I win, the higher I have to keep pushing the bar of quality. Yeah. Um, I was aiming for early 2010, but then I won a bunch of things, so I had yeah. to you know, keep raising the bar. And I'm still kind of in that mode. I'm trying to have it content complete by the end of 2010. Yeah. I'm not going to release it immediately once it's content complete. I need to do, you know, heaps of testing, heaps of polish, et cetera, still, so the answer is when it's done, pretty much.
0: Okay. So, what do you mean by competitions, um, raising the bar or d- delaying stuff, can you talk about that more? What's, what's inspiring? What's changing? Um, why is it changing your timeline and stuff like that? Is it just the feedback from people coming and playing it and you watching them
1: or what? So when I started working the game, it was just a student, it was just a student project. Yeah. Um, I wasn't aiming to have it as a student project, I was just trying to make the best folio piece that I could, but once you start winning competitions, you go, "All right, well, there are an audience of people who are really loving this, how can I capitalize on that, you know, sort of work out all of the things that make more people not like it and fix all of those, and the more competitions you win, the more you end up looking at things going like, it would be a waste. Uh, to take all of this exposure and not make the game the best that it could be. Okay. You know, so the fact that I was winning competitions took me from just being you know, a student to then just being some dude making a game to being like, I need to make this the best thing that I can yeah. you know, to capitalise on all of that exposure. Okay.
0: Cool. Thank you very much.